in the kingdom of Nye on the wild card line at area code 702-727-1295. That's area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is good morning, everybody. Uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting night. In a moment, we've got coming up uh, Jim Berkland. Jim Berkland uh, is a member of the Geological Society of America and eight other professional organizations. Uh, for ten years, he worked uh, for the Department of the Interior and the USGS, U.S. Geological Survey, and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. And I'll tell you more about him in a moment. But he's going to be commenting on a number of contemporary things like the phase on Mars imaging, the resolution, what it means. And uh, as you may or may not know, I have a really, really strong feeling for whatever it's worth, which may be absolutely nothing, that there is a substantial earthquake about to occur and somewhere in the next three to seven days, and I wouldn't begin to tell you where, I just... I just, I've been feeling it. We'll talk to him about earthquakes, because that would be uh, right down his alley, and maybe deep holes, too. So all of that coming up. Listen, if you will hightail it up to my website right this minute, Robert Ghostwolf came through with his promise, and he sent me the photographs that he took. And I rescanned what I consider to be the critically important uh, photograph, and I mean critically important, and I came in a little closer on what I consider to be unambiguously in the Rocky Mountains of the U.S., a sphinx. And so the rescanned uh, photographs, the ones I scanned, uh, that he sent, kindly sent to me, are on the web now. And I'm, I'm telling you, it'll take you, you know, they're about uh, 200K files. So it'll paint slowly down your screen, but the resolution is, of course, much, much higher. And if that's not a sphinx, then I'm not a ham operator. And I am, by the way, W6OBB. So you've got to go take a look. You've really got to see this. I mean, it's in the Rocky Mountains. And by the way, it was perhaps unfortunate, though I understand why he did it that he said these were taken at the 14,000-foot level. They were not. That was an intentionally misleading statement. He doesn't want the site desecrated, and I understand that perfectly. A sphinx in our Rocky Mountains? Our Rocky Mountains? Yes, I think so. I'm telling you, go, uh, go take a look at the new photographs, and if you don't think that's a sphinx, well, fine. But to me, it jumps right out at you and the response I've had thus far on the rescan photographs is really, really good. You go take a look. That's one item. The sounds from hell have also been put up there, and you can either uh, download them or listen to them online. So having said all of that, uh, which I wanted to get out to everybody, be sure you've got it. All of that is at my website, www.artbell.com. That's A-R-T, and then bell, like the one that rings, all lowercase. www.artbell.com. 
Now, Snappy, you've got nothing to lose but the fat. All right, now comes Jim Berkland. So you know who you're listening to? He is a fellow in the Geological Society of America and a member of eight other professional organizations. During his ten years of college and university geological education and my, uh, his 35 years in practical applications, he's had a broad uh, base of experience in field geology and, underline this, aerial photographic interpretation. That's very important, based on what we're going to say. He worked uh, more than ten years for the Department of the Interior, about equally divided between the U.S. Geological Survey and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. He is a registered geologist by the state of California, certified as an engineering uh, geologist, as a matter of fact, number 58. The major part of his career has been more than 20 years as the first county geologist for the most populous county in Northern California, that would be Santa Clara County. In addition, he has taught geology at the university level on both coasts, including engineering geology, uh, geomorphology, oceanography, general geology for science teachers, and has published more than 50 scientific papers in geology and has had a lifelong avocation of astronomy. That makes... Uh, th that makes Jim Berkland uniquely qualified to comment on all kinds of things that we have questions about. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Art. Pleasure. It's fourth time. Um, yes, uh, it is about fourth time, isn't it? Well, you're an expert in a lot of areas that uh, seem to cross my airwaves. Now, uh, here is question number one. Right off the bat, let's ask about it. I take it that you have been very closely following the whole Mars uh, controversy, which has exploded now that they have re-imaged the face on Mars. Yes. As for a long time, the only time I saw anything about it was on the tabloids at the grocery store. Right. And then about, oh, 1992 or three. I finally says, why am I not hearing from my colleagues in this? This obviously is face-like, and I'm tired of hearing so-called experts saying it doesn't look like a face, it's just a funny-looking hill. Mm -hmm. And from my experience with geomorphology and aerial photographs, I can say there's nothing approaching it uh, on the face of the Earth except that the Sphinx and maybe Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and uh, yeah, by the way, uh, just as a matter of curiosity, uh, Robert Ghostwolf went into the Rockies and found what, to me, is a sphinx. And he originally took some photographs that were just, you know, sort of so-so in quality in the scanning. But I rescanned these photographs, and I put them up there, and it knocks you right in the eye. Have you seen them? Yep, that's your advice. I went over and I downloaded it, made a little uh, picture of it here, and I'm looking at it right now. And it definitely is uh, quite face-like. Uh, I would say its nose is in better shape than that of the real Sphinx, because I, no. I was over there, too, with <laughs> John Anthony West, uh, oh, just a few months before you were. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, well, that's a whole separate thing. Anyway, uh, continue to comment on this uh, photograph. Okay. Um, it's, it is most intriguing. Um, it does look like it's in a very massive rock, either a very massive sandstone or granite. And um, from this angle, it's... There's no question, 
questioning that it is face-like. We could certainly use more photographs from other angles, oh, yeah. and I'm sure they will follow, but this latest scan is quite a bit more revealing. Yeah, that, I looked at those first ones, and they were totally unconvincing. This one is most intriguing, mm -hmm. uh, although I, I do lean towards it being a natural feature. Um, it... Uh, it's I'd like to see it close up. At yeah. the very least, uh, it's either not natural or a hell of a good accident of nature. Yes. One yes. of the two. Now, uh, so about the face on Mars. Yes, sir. Uh, and so I finally, um, I don't know if, it's sure if I heard uh, about uh, the Professor Staniel, Stanley uh, McDaniel. First I heard from Hoagland, Richard Hoagland. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was about to, he was in San Francisco and was being interviewed on a radio station out here. And he, he said that he was going to speak at the West Coast headquarters of NASA at Mountain View. Ah. And so I had just given a talk at the director's colloquium a few months earlier, and I thought that would give me a little in, and I could uh, hear his talk. And so I called over to their uh, uh, program manager, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, I heard Richard Hoagland say he was going to be speaking here uh, on Tuesday, and I would like to hear him speak. Can anyone else go in there other than just NASA people? Mm -hmm. He says, I don't know anything about it. I'll look into it and call you back. Right. About two hours later, close to infuriated, he called me back. Richard Hoagland is not a member of NASA. He's never been a mass na member of NASA, and he's trying to come in through the side door. It turns out that the uh, retired NASA people had invited him to speak in one of the buildings at NASA at Mountain View. I see. And... Um, by wanting to hear him speak, I'd inadvertently shot down his talk. They, they were uh, concerned about the talk he'd given uh, in the Eastern headquarters and made a videotape of his talk, <laughs> which I've seen, and, uh, you know, as the way he speaks. And by the way, I certainly support uh, your, your caller earlier that said uh, they had a point. Uh, Richard Hoagland is new head of NASA. Replacing <laughs> Dan Goldman. And I bet he would accept the appointment. <laughs> well, uh, he, he might. Um, he might. Uh, yeah. it, you never... <laughs> the whole concept is intriguing to me. I've got to play this one out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Richard Hoagland is head of NASA. Wow, that would change that program. Already. Well, somebody needs to make the rest of these NASA people toe the line. Um, well, now here we go. Um, yeah. I would like to get... You know, obviously, as you well know, NASA has re-imaged the face. Great expectancy. I've been. I could hardly sleep the night before. Been waiting for this. Now, uh, I was one of those invited back to Cody, Wyoming, to the Moon Mars conference. I gave a talk there. Heard from two other geologists, which was most gratifying to me. That finally, a couple of others in my field were recognizing this didn't appear to be a natural feature. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I heard from religious leaders and architects, historians. Uh, engineers, a little bit of everything I attended that conference, and it was, you know, really um, heartwarming and re and revealing. So, um, and then I waited for more information to come out, and especially when that last Mars observer uh, blew up just as about to enter orbit. That yes. was most discouraging. Most. But then we knew that this was coming up, and all of a sudden they came with this new program to air break it instead of normal landing, right? and that gave them more time to kind of uh, figure out how they were going to reveal this to the American public and the world. Um, when those first shots came out, as you noted, almost entirely black. 
Okay. I did compare it with your satellite shots of the weather station. People are saying, by the way, that that is an unfair comparison because obviously an Earth orbiter is close by, whereas um, this other spacecraft um, is all the way out at Mars, and so there is going to be more noise. Um, I, I have contention with that. Uh, I believe that with the large dishes, they have perfect full quieting uh, transmissions uh, from that spacecraft. And have you seen any of the strips from the earlier photographs on this mission? Well, that's my other proof. In other words, they, they, they're real strips, so what happened here? Exactly. And as you and uh, Hoagland uh, and uh, your uh, uh, webmaster pointed out, there were, what, uh, 71 or two shades of gray instead of 258? We're only seeing one-third of the resolution? That also is correct. Two-thirds of the information is flat-out missing. And the first strips, when they finally had something you could see... They had stretched the features so that circular craters were quite elongated into long ellipses. That's true. And it's most interesting that when you look at this so-called the face with this first photograph, I couldn't even believe it was the same part of Mars. And it looked like one of two things happened. Either an atom bomb went off, <laughs> completely destroying the whole damn thing, or uh, my analogy, when I first saw it, I said, man, it looks like cat box to me. i got to clean up the cat box every day. It looks like cat <laughs> That's box. That's about it. it uh, also, it has... Uh, just a vague resemblance to an Egyptian cartouche. Yeah. Or the stretched out like that. Now, if even if that's all there is, and there's no third dimension, you don't see the classic third dimension here. That's thing 1,500 feet high, as they know from uh, the stereo photographs they got from the 1976 mission. And this looks like it's just, you know, a couple hundred feet high, just sand dunes. So uh, also, but it does show this unusual... Uh, had a feature around it, this, this uh, ring around it, which is the base of the face. Mm -hmm. But how was this formed? On the Earth, they might call it a lack of death, a, uh, an intrusion from below that just domed up the land and then the inner part of it uh, eroded away. Mm -hmm. There's no bedding revealing here. Um, it, uh, but it does make sense if we're only seeing one-third of the data. If they had a uh, newspaper picture and they took away two-thirds of the dots. You wouldn't have much. No, you wouldn't. Not, and, not, not anything recognizable. Yes. And in uh, Carlotto's latest book, uh, The Martian Enigmas, A Closer Look, he shows how statues uh, are almost indecipherable under certain lighting conditions and how the face on Mars, uh, through a Martian day, based on models they've made, uh, most of the pictures are, are very uh, ambiguous. And it's only towards when the low sun angles come in that it becomes very clear. You know, you've just given me a really good idea. Somebody could go out and play a game by imaging in different lights uh, statues that we know to be not natural, statues uh, formed by the hand of man and photographed at different angles in different lighting. That would be a very interesting mm -hmm. experiment. And then submit it to somebody and say, here, look, uh, this is a photograph of Mars. What do you think? Yeah. Well, uh, certain groups out there would say, no matter what, obviously, tricks of light and shadow. And we've been hearing that from the very beginning. And I, I, this does explain, though, why suddenly uh, Dr. Mallon and NASA became so cooperative and said, oh, yes, we really want to show everything there, and we will uh, show it to the public immediately. Instead of before, they said, we're not even interested in Cydonia. 
And if we do take pictures, we're, we're going to uh, look through them, and we'll let you know in a month or two. That's what they said. And That's right. A big turnaround. And I wrote him a letter uh, back in about 83 at the urging of, uh, of Dr. McDaniel. And uh, anyone that hasn't seen that, that opus magnum from uh, Dr. McDaniel should at least try to find it in the library. It is a wonderful book. <laughs> That's a big dog. Well, he's, he's growing. <laughs> you, are you, he's still growing, is he? Well, he's, I hope that this is about it, because he takes me for walks, and I can hardly uh, <laughs> control him. Bet, yeah. So, um, this... Um, Dr. Malin. Yes. And uh, what did I... Oh, I, I looked in the, the dictionary under to malinger. Uh, malinger? To, yeah, to malinger is to shun your duty, to... Fail to do your duty, and I think that's most appropriate. You believe Dr. Malin, Michael Malin, has failed to do his duty? I do. Uh huh. He's the one that had complete control of the timing, the camera, the angles, um, and why were not these pictures as finely tuned as the previous ones uh, on this mission, let alone the one of 1976? Well, let me pin you in the corner. You don't have to answer this. Um, do you think, under the circumstances, that what we got was an accidental poor uh, resolution and rendition of the phase on Mars, or do you think that it was an intentional? I think it was absolutely deliberate. Now, at a meeting in, uh, of NASA people uh, in the fall two years ago, as they were about to launch these Mars um, satellites, I went to a meeting of taxpayers. There were several hundred there to hear about all this exciting data about to be revealed to us. Yes, sir. Saw how they were going to bounce the rubber ball and, and how this little uh, uh, crawler was going to go out and take pictures of the rocks and all that. It was most exciting. I hadn't heard of all the details. And then they had input from the audience, and I got up and waited to get to the microphone. And I asked about the face on Mars, and it produced general laughter yep. amongst the experts on the stage. And, of course, there was a ripple effect in the audience. The laughter curtain continues, and the what's being called by some the government media complex mm -hmm. seems to have complete control of the information we're getting. Well, I, uh, uh, you may have noticed, uh, Jim, as I did, that the first photograph that they somehow pulled from this black strip, yeah. uh, the one that looked like a cat box, now that was the one that got shown to all the world on television that day. It was on the front page of newspapers, the cat box. Uh, Dan rather proclaimed it nothing but a pile of rocks. And that is exactly the impression the great unwashed were left with. Uh, and what you're telling me is we've been hoodwinked. I think that's absolutely true, and eventually the truth will out. All right, hold it right there. Jim Berkland, geologist, will be back in a moment. <laughs> From the high desert, I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM.
you have a fax for Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nine, send it to him at area code 702-727-8499. 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, here again is Art. Once again, here I am. Our website is, with all the bandwidth we have, and we have a lot, is under siege right now, so bear with us if you can't get through. The Ghost Wolf re-imaged photographs are up there, and people are scrambling. As well, the sounds from hell are up there, and people are scrambling, so it's a total overload situation. I just had a little conversation with my webmaster, Keith Rowland. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But if you don't get through to the website uh, right away, keep trying. Eventually you will. Uh, back to Jim Berkland, who's saying some very, very strong things about the images, the latest images that NASA has uh, provided us of the face on Mars. Very strong indeed, Gary. Uh Jim... Uh, welcome back. You know, what you're saying, uh, you're saying very strong words about Michael Malin and uh, this whole imaging thing, and um, it it really does say, look, there is a conspiracy. Is that what you believe? I absolutely believe that. You cannot, if you take a picture of the face from 1976, as shown on Carlotto's and Hoagland's and McDaniel's books, and a few others, and then you look at this rock ripple that they produced with this recent photograph, you can't get there from here. The two don't jive. They are not congruent, as we hear about reverse speech. I would like to get some of these people on record and hear how they sound in reverse. Um, well, as a matter of fact, we have done some of that uh, with Michael Malin and others. Mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, Professor McDaniel? Now, I had him on the air the other day. Professor McDaniel wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote uh, profound suspicions about NASA and the whole face on Mars thing. And then, just uh, like two or three days, actually two days, I think it was, before the imaging, uh, Professor McDaniel seemed to turn 180 degrees around after all these profound pronouncements about uh, what he thought was going on inside NASA. And all of a sudden, he was he was NASA. Well, his uh, university is about five miles from where I'm living, to west, where it's Nova State University, where he taught he taught ethics and philosophy, and uh, well suited him to produce this this masterwork on the McDaniel Report. Mm-hmm. And he talked about various ways to put down new ideas, and uh, one is ridicule, ridicule, ridicule. It is far and away the single most chillingly effective weapon in the war against discovery and innovation. Ridicule has the unique power to make people of virtually any persuasion go completely unconscious in a twinkling. It fails to sway only those few who are of sufficiently independent mind not to buy into the kind of emotional consensus that ridicule provides. There... When you look at the shadows on the 1976 photos of the face, they're over a mile long. There is no way in hell you could get a mile-long shadow from that rock ripple that they produced in this latest flight. <laughs> rock ripple, that's yeah. right. <laughs> it's, uh, 
It's really disturbing. And see, and I have been through this with my earthquake predictions bit. I predicted um, the strongest earth. The first time we had a major quake in California in 28 years, I predicted it to the USGS the day before it happened. Right. It was on tape. A year later, they told me they had lost that tape in the mail, and the only one they had oh. so lost in four years of operation. Oh. And Gee, kind, of kind of like, kind of like uh, what happened on Mars. I mean, here I they were getting these wonderful strips of resolution, and then all of a sudden they get to Sidonian. Yep, eighteen minute gaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened to all the Roswell records from the nineteen forty-seven to nineteen sixty? Oh, we did, we've trashed them. Yeah, oh, yeah. they're absolutely missing in action. What happened to all of the um, and Stephen Schiff, War syndrome Steve, uh, Congressman Schiff, the man who subpoenaed all those records through the uh, GAO investigation, yeah. now passed on. That's right. Very, very uh, a fast form of uh, unusual cancer. Yeah, like uh, Jack Ruby. Um, yeah, this most disturbing, and I just hope there's a few more pioneers out there that have the guts to stay with what they know to be true. Well, there, unfortunately, there are not too many people, uh, Jim, who can stand the ridicule. I uh -huh. can, I can, because I think in my case, I don't give a damn, I, I guess. I, I'm just, you know, I like pursuing things that are interesting. Yeah, I, and, I, I stimulate and, me. And, and I'll tell you what, um, yesterday, Steve, Steve Benson down in Arizona did a cartoon of me, probably saw that. Uh, it showed... Um, uh, Benson's view, it's called syndicated all over the place, and it shows a clown's face. And it says the face on Mars, and then uh, on the clown's bow tie, it says Art Bell. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oh, yeah. uh, any more. I was called a clown. I was called a clown by <laughs> leading light at the U.S. Geological Survey. Oh. So you'll see on my website, I have uh, a special called Send in the Clowns. <laughs> These experts haven't done so well, so about time to send in the clowns. Uh, by the way, I do have a website, and today... Oh, we've, we've got a link to it, by the way, on my today, page. I topped 100,000 finally today. You know, it's like 10 minutes of your web <laughs> action. But uh, I'm very, very pleased to see that. And we've also opened up a chat room and getting all kinds of interesting uh, chats uh, in the last just month. Well, since my website at this moment is more or less crippled... Uh, because everybody's rushing, rushing up there for the new stuff we've got. Uh, give out your website, then go to it directly, or go through our link if they sure. go to my site. It's uh, World Wide Web Syzygy, which is the name of my newsletter, and on my license plate. You better, spell, you better spell that. Yep. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. And it means lining up of the sun, moon, and earth, such as at a time of an eclipse, mm -hmm. or any new or full moon, but an eclipse is a perfect syzygy. And once you get off that S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y, put my initials, J-O-B, dot com, and you'll go right to my website. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would take, not like yours, well, a small remnant of it is a shadow of it, but it would take somebody about four hours to go through all the links and things that we have on there. I'm able to publish a lot of things I couldn't publish uh, with peer review. I put them out there. and I had five papers in a row rejected after having 15 in a row accepted. Mm -hmm because I started writing about earthquake protection. Jim, we were discussing ridicule, and you are uniquely in a position now where you can say whatever in the hell you want without right. fear of retribution because you're retired, right? That's right. Now, could you have said the things you're saying tonight had you still been part of USGS? Oh, no way, no way. And certainly not with the same vehemence. <laughs> I'd have been a little more... Uh, circumspect? Circumspect, yes, uh-huh. Because people that have a career ahead of them 
Uh, Let's say you would have had to say something like, well, there may have been a mistake made in the imaging. Well, a mistake like I discovered in 1979 that literally thousands of people died in the 1906 earthquake, and all of the textbooks were saying a few hundred. And I talked to five eyewitness accounts. One man was 102 years old. This is back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. I got them all uh, transcribed on oral interviews. I wrote a, a, a brief summary of this, submitted it to the state of California, and it was just sent back to me very quickly, saying they had the official numbers and this was just too hypothetical. And but I've been vindicated just about three years ago with the latest list of U.S. earthquakes it says that the San Francisco earthquake caused at least 3,000 deaths well I think it was more like 10,000 but it's far better than the 277 or the 315 or the 452 or the 498 that you see in official publications yeah you bet so this this does happen that was strictly governmental control so as not to frighten the public and uh, this is the same kind of thing with the Mars uh, situation. Uh, we can handle it. What we? I'm tired of being spoon-fed this kind of this kind of data. Um, what do you What do you make of the way this photograph uh, photograph was uh, released? In other words, uh, NASA decided to not say a word, just take the photograph with no comment whatsoever, and let uh, let scientists cross country. Evaluated. What What do you think about that? Why Why did they do it that way? Carefully orchestrated, recognizing that not even the greatest proponent of the face on Mars could see anything in this these first release photographs. Mm -hmm. It was they were totally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they decided to uh, to straighten out the uh, the the angle, so you get a more orthogonal uh, view of it, a more direct over. A view of the face. Yes. And then it became a little more recognizable, but still, as I look at it, it looks like a hole in the ground, not a hill. Yeah, the problem with that is they did that at about 2 o'clock in the morning after all the major U.S. media had already printed the cat box picture. Yes. Yes. That's the problem with that. Uh, now, uh, they've got two more imaging opportunities coming. And I think that may explain why we haven't seen huge uh, arguments from. Uh, McDaniel and Carlotto. I think they're hoping to work with NASA and have them at least look at these other features, which are extremely interesting. But they must be quietly, deeply suspicious. I, I, I can't put words uh, in, in their mouths, but uh, that's what I imagine they would be. I, I had a little talk uh, a few moments ago during the break with Keith Rowland, uh, trying to find out if our suffering website was going to live, and he mentioned, you know, Art, Richard said there were about two-thirds of the grayscales missing, but by my count, and Keith does a lot of good uh, computer work, it's more like four-fifths of the data <laughs> missing. Oh, that's pathetic. Uh, we, were, we were betrayed, and that's what McDaniel will have to admit to, I think. Oh. Uh, McDaniel used my quote on the back of his book. Um, it's short. It said, I wrote, the so-called face on Mars is unlike any natural feature I have ever seen or heard about. To ascribe this feature as such symmetry and uniqueness to wind erosion is to plead a special case for a geologic process with no supporting evidence. <laughs> that's on the back cover of his, his book. Yes. Uh, and I, I stand by that, although these pictures uh, are, don't add any support. Uh, they are a travesty. Um, 
Boy, you are using some strong words. You must have been very upset about this. Oh, I lost sleep. And after the, the great Cody conference and hearing everything developing and that we're finally going to have cooperation and we see this, this trash come out from their camera, which is totally finely tuned, uh-huh. and then we find out it was detuned. It was degraded. You know, we're told that uh, our satellites can shoot down on our cities and you can read not only the headlines of newspapers but the subheads. That's right. But then when you try to get these photographs, they degrade them so you can't see it. And so we get better photographs from the Russian satellites uh, through Russia. Uh, let me tell you, it's absolutely true. I, um, as you well know, because I put a strip up there as an example, I get photographs from the NOAA series of satellites, our satellites, and there are uh, there's a whole series of Russian satellites up there as well, and the detail available from the Russian satellites is far, far better than NOAA. NOAA is good for weather, but the Russians allow whatever um, uh, detail and a resolution uh, that can be shoved down to be shoved down. And you can zoom in on cities uh, with the Russian photographs. Yep. It, well, it just shows what to, we're not getting much truth. Not getting much truth from our government. It's kind of like the GPS. You know what GPS is, of yeah. course. You know that's intentionally degraded? I heard that. Uh, it's true, so that uh, the, some uh, little third world country can't use it as a missile guidance system, yeah. they said. So, I don't know. We don't have a lot of honesty from government, whether it's earthquakes, photographs from Mars, uh, satellite uh, constellations that are supposed to help us navigate. Casualty losses and things now. It's terrible, terrible thing. I hope they tell us the truth about the, you know, the tornadoes. Um, but in every country, when you have a natural disaster, they tend to downplay it, like that uh, that big quake uh, about a month ago in Iran. We heard, what, uh, 500 people killed from a, oh, yes. a 6.9? Yes, and, oh, and there was one other thing. I have to ask you about this. I started getting faxes saying, oh, my God, there's been an 8.1 earthquake. And I listened to the AP. I checked Reuters. I looked all over the place. 8.1 is a significant event on Earth very significant. It's called a great earthquake, and we hadn't had one for over two years. And people said, people were writing the email and saying, you're full of it. There was no 8.1 earthquake. Uh-huh. You're out of your mind. I, I, I checked the news. It's not on. Well, you may, you may have forgotten that I'm the one that sent you the facts first, uh-huh. because I had seen it uh, on the email. Well, you wanted confirmation That's of That's right. It. And you said, gee, I usually call Jim for confirmation on earthquakes. And he's, he's writing to me. Yep. And, and it worked, because within ten minutes... Uh, somebody sent me the official reading, and I then faxed that to you. So we did have uh, on this earth uh, an 8.1 earthquake. In fact, it was the most southerly great earthquake ever recorded, really? close to Antarctica and the Balini Islands. Really? Within a couple hundred miles of the south magnetic pole, which may have some significance. Wow. Interesting. The most southerly quake ever recorded. The southerly great earthquake. Uh, just about two years ago, in fact, I asked the USGS to send me a list of uh, Antarctica quakes because I'd never heard of any. They sent me a list of five. The biggest was about the 5.2. Mm-hmm. And so this one, 8.1, and we hadn't had one since the first day of my seismic window on February 16th of 1996. What are, what are the uh, potential possibilities? Now, the Antarctic, of course, is ice, mostly, yeah. right? Yeah. So what are the potential repercussions of an earthquake uh, in the Antarctic? Exactly what I wondered. Uh, the, the Ross Ice Shelf, or the 
one of the uh, the ice shelves might be disturbed. It was some uh, oh, 200, I think 50 miles away from the nearest settlement on Antarctica, a little you know station there. Uh, they had tsunami alerts that went all the way to Hawaii. That's right. And uh, if a tsunami had developed, it certainly would have uh, caused the floating ice to be disturbed quite a bit. Um, and there is always the possibility now of a large earthquake triggering another fault into action, even hundreds of miles away. This is something, again, our experts totally denied for years and years and years. Absolutely just pure early earthquakes are random events, and so one big earthquake doesn't trigger anything else uh, 500 miles away. I always said, we don't know. It's possible. And then after the Landers quake hit, suddenly, within two hours, there was a... And the Landers was 7.5. Within two hours, there was a 6.8 at Big Bear, about 50 miles away. And then they began getting a series of quakes at Mammoth Lakes, Lassen, Shasta, Yellowstone. I would think, Jim, that the scientific presumption would be that one earthquake could trigger another, not the other way around. Um, in other words, if you have if you have pressures that are building between two moving plates and uh, something is sitting on the uh, on the edge of going and something else jolts it from far away, I mean, this is not rocket science. It was not the accepted scientific notion. <laughs> Although back in... Um, I heard Dr. Bruce Bolt give a talk at the University of California, Davis, back in 1981, I believe. And I mentioned to him that in 1906, on April 18th, when the 8.1 hit San Francisco, mm -hmm. about 5.13 in the morning, mm -hmm. that afternoon, uh, 500 miles to the south, on the San Andreas Fault, there was a 6.5 that did severe damage down in Brawley. So in essence, it was an aftershock. And I mentioned that to Dr. Bolt. And, of course, because it was 4.30 in the afternoon, it ends up as the next day, Greenwich time, where most earthquakes are reported. Mm -hmm. So the significance didn't come out to most people. Gee, that was on the same day as the, the great earthquake in San Francisco. So Dr. Bolt thought for a moment. He says, well, yes, I have recognized that. And it does open up the possibility of a superquake, like the whole thing could unzip. The whole thing could unzip. That doesn't sound good. No, it's not very likely uh, because in the middle uh, the fault is creeping and relieving most of the strain as it goes. But there's no question in my mind, and I guessed in his, that enough strain was propagated along for 500 miles that it popped up, you know, eight hours later, ten hours later. All right. Jim, hold on. We're at the top of the hour. When we come back, we'll kind of recap a little bit and move forward because I do want to talk about earthquakes because I have this feeling. Actually, I have more than that. I have word from Jack Coles, and I've got a funny little feeling right back here. How about you? This is Coast to Coast AM. Talk with Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from east of the Rockies. Dial 1-800-825-5033. 
1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. Now again, here's Art Bell. Good morning, everybody. This is Benson's Clown. I'm Art Bell. <laughs> this is Coast to Coast AM, and I've got so much in line for you coming up in the next few moments. Something, uh, I think, in the line of breaking news. My guest is Jim Berkland, a geologist all his life. I will give you uh, a run by his credentials again in a few moments. But we do have breaking news from Richard Hoagland. Stand by for that. I, uh, I've got a couple of things I've got to cover. One is uh, Robert Ghostwolf, for those of you joining at this hour, came through and sent me the photographs he said he'd send. And I have rescanned them, and they are on the website right now. I did two. One at a medium distance, and one uh, fairly close up of something that I think in the U.S. Rockies, to me, unambiguously, jumps right out as a sphinx. Now, these are uh, fairly high-res photos, probably about 200K to download. But, boy, if you can get to a computer... Uh, he called this the Archangel. To me, this is the Sphinx. It may be a matter of words and labeling. I don't know, but I'm, I, I did rescan this one photograph, and you've got to see it. It's on my website at www.artbell.com, as are the Screams from Hell. If you want to record or download those, you can do that. In a moment... Now... <laughs> Jim Berkland has used some very, very strong words to describe the images, image from Mars of the face. And he thinks it is an intentional a fraud. Uh, I don't know what else, uh, what other words to use, an intentional fraud. He is using those words. This is an accredited geologist. In a moment, Richard C. Hoagland with some rather shocking news for you. After dark. Well, all right, I'm getting word now that uh, Michael Malin, Dr. Malin, is saying that uh, apparently that uh, there was dust, that there was uh, something obscuring the Cydonia region when he took the photograph, and that accounts for the... A horrid quality of the photograph that we all told you about. We told you and told you and told you. And of course, people didn't believe it, and they took the word of those who said, a high-res image of a bunch of junk. Right? Well, now Dr. Malin is talking about clouds and haze and stuff like that. Well, here with kind of a special bulletin for you, uh, from the mountains of New Mexico is Richard C. Hoagland. Uh, Richard? Hello, Richard. Uh, oh, there you are. So 
Sorry about that. I am here. All is, right. Is uh, Jim with us? Um, I can I can arrange for that to occur. You can uh, wave your magic wand. And poof, here is Jim Berklin. Jim? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Hi, hi Jim. It's Dick Hoagland. Greetings, Richard. It's been a while. Yes. Since the wilds of Cody. Well, he's been saying some rather supportive uh, things uh, for you this morning, uh, I, I have been listening, yes. Uh-huh. While I've been trying to get up to our website uh, some new data that Keith is about to post momentarily. I talked to him a moment ago, and he's about to get it up there. Okay. We have been working, uh, Jim, for the last 24 hours on basically a smoking gun. Mm-hmm. This data has been cooked. It is a fake. He has been altered. It has been tampered with. It is not raw data, and we can prove it. And the proof is so simple and so elegant. And before I limit out, I want to give a special credit to a gentleman named Frederick Hoddock, who took my uh, recommendation the other night on your show, Art, when I said that this raw image had a series of streaks down the length of yeah, it. that's correct. That we've, were like fingerprints. We've all seen them, and if you haven't on my website, we've got that raw image. You can see them. They're streaks. Yes. Well, what he did was follow my recommendation, and he went back in Malin's own files on his website, which is also linked in the Healing Frequencies section of Enterprise. Yes. And he found an image uh, on Orbit 308003.jpg, right. which had the same streaks. And he then spent, he must have spent like a day matching meticulously the geometry of the scan of this earlier picture with the geometry of the scan of the Sidonia shot. Right. And he made an astonishing discovery, and I want to give Fred full credit. What he discovered is that the if, if you go to Malin's own site where he lists the specs of his camera, yeah. he says very clearly, and it's on our, our post now, which uh, Keith will have up there momentarily, that the full CCD resolution of the array is supposed to be 2,048 pixels. That is, think of it as kind of like a comb, all right? And the, the motion of the spacecraft at right angles to the width of the comb, the little detector elements in the CCD produces the picture as the CCD is continually being interrogated about the light values it is recording. Correct. Yes. Okay. And so you get a long, narrow strip of a picture. Right. Okay. Uh, Now, the streaks correspond to missing teeth in the comb because the little array elements are not equally sensitive. I see. Okay. It's like a cottage industry and each of these things is unique. So no two CCD cameras with a line scan mode in the world will give you the same pattern of streaks. Okay. The streaks are like fingerprints. You can literally tell the camera anywhere on Earth if you get a picture from it because it will only have that pattern of streaks. I am so just like fingerprint. Okay, Richard, yep. I'm with you so it far. It's absolutely and... unique. Oh, my God. Where are you going? So what Fred did is he matched the fingerprint... Of the Sidonia strip that we've got, the raw image given to us Monday morning. Yes. With the full scan image from one of Malin's previous orbits. And discovered a, a really shocking piece of news which is totally verifiable, totally reproducible, and is a smoking gun of tampering. Because it turns out that somehow between the spacecraft and Earth, the full scan 2048 array image got reduced to 1024. Huh. 
That is impossible. In other words, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Dr. Malin made a copy. Oh, and my God. And he threw God. half the resolution away, and in the copying, he put a filter in to reduce the grayscale. By the way, it's 42 dN. I actually went back and remeasured. 42. Uh -huh. It starts at 50, ends at 92. I think Keith Rowland would uh, yeah. back that up. Absolutely, absolutely. So what you have here is lousy grayscale information, so you can't see anything. You have lousy resolution compared to what the camera can give us, so you can't detect anything. And it's not a raw image. Every press release JPL has put out around the world claiming this is a raw image is an absolute fabrication because you can't get a 1024 raw image out of a 2048 raw scan orbiting Mars. I love it. I, I, My God. A set of facts. My and, God, and, Richard, this is, um, this is a smoking gun. You're saying, uh, now let me be very clear about this. Let's go over it again. You're saying that camera delivers 2048 normally uh, pixels. Is that on correct? On Malin's own website, on the camera specs, I have a color photograph. I have his own specs listed. I have the the detector array circle in a red box. Yes. It's got two modes. It's got a wide-angle scan, which has another set of detectors, and the narrow-angle scan. Yes, sir. And the number of detector elements in the narrow-angle array is 2048. All right. So if you're taking a strip of pictures, obviously you're going to use the entire array. All right. We can verify this with other photographs uh, they have taken, correct? Absolutely. All right. What, what Fred discovered was that he basically simply recopied his original scan and reduced it by half scale. They lied to us. They lied. It's that simple. An outright lie. Now, what's really shocking is I have been talking with national media for the last couple of days about this. And tonight... I won't tell you who, but I got a report from one of my sources at one of the major networks talking to one of the key network correspondents. I know who you're talking about. And the correspondent basically said, I don't care. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Direct quote. I don't care. Now, we can care who Bill is sleeping with. But when it comes to verifying the potential revolution in mm. civilization, the discovery and confirmation of alien or other ruins on another planet with a mission which we as taxpayers are paying for, this corresponds to... Good Lord. ...that there is evidence that a major scientist involved in the mission is faking and altering data. Or, at the very least, lying. In other words, it was not... What you're suggesting is it was not... The raw data no, it they gave be. us. They did not and, give us raw data. That's and that number is one. tampering with the data because that. you understand that if you throw half the resolution away, obviously, instead of being four meter resolution, it would be eight meter under ideal conditions. And then, of course, the grayscale. The grayscale thing reduces it. So basically, we're dealing with an image which is maybe comparable to the Viking data from Mars 20 years ago. Okay, and how do you prove this with the data going on your website? If you look at the, at the graph I prepared, I have a series of scans which Fred prepared of, the, of one of many, many images, high-res images that Malin has on his website. The one we chose was 8003.jpg from Orbit 80 right. about a month and a half ago. Same spacecraft. Yep, when it was passing over Valles Marineris. Yes. We then matched the little streaks, which are like the fingerprints. This is basically right. a Columbo story, all right? Right. 
you're playing Columbo art, you look through the microscope, you see the, 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 the two bullets, the bullet that killed the victim and the bullet from the gun, and you're matching the grooves. Kind of like ballistics. It's a ballistics, exactly. It's, it's okay. the same pattern technique. All right. And we've got them nailed cold because the pattern only matches when you reduce the Sedoni image to half the size of the full scan. Wow. Uh, Art? Yeah. Uh, on that first fax I sent you on the first day, I called this technological fraud. And I stand by it, too. Yeah, I think the term that Clarence Thomas used was the high-tech lynching. <laughs> and yeah. Basically, we have all been lynched. We are being had, and it's time the American people... You know, put a stop to it because it's obvious that certain people in the media do not care. And I must say that I was quite shocked to hear that tonight. Let me let me make a recommendation. Uh, you know, well, at first, um, at both of you, you you will recall NASA uh, was saying these were very uh, high resolution uh, scans, and I have word tonight that Dr. Malin is saying publicly, uh, starting to talk about haze and cloudiness and... All right, let me stop you there. Uh -huh. on, on his website, Malin insists that the Sidonia region was clear. He has put it in writing. He said we were very lucky it was very clear. So the man okay. is contradicting himself in many different directions. Well, I... Oh, my God. You know, Richard, in what I believe, and, you know, when it comes to this level of conspiracy... But you see, it doesn't take a level. But, all but, it takes but you've teetered me back all right, all right, again. I... All, right, all it takes is apathy on the part of most people. Jim eloquently, you know, labeled the giggle factor. My problem today when I was discussing with people at Time and Newsweek and the Washington Post and, you know, National Public Radio and many others is I can't seem to get over the idea, come on, you don't take this seriously. It, it's like we're holding ourselves to two different standards. We hold the President of the United States for possibly having an affair to one level. And we hold NASA, who's spending $150 million of our money and who could make a discovery that would change the course of all future history to come to a totally different standard. In fact, we're not holding it to any standard. Well, I think what you have said tonight, Richard, demands an explanation from uh, Dr. Malin. And uh, and or uh, perhaps look uh, carefully at what you've got on the website. This is a very, very serious allegation. And go well, ahead with serious proof. Yeah. Go ahead with your uh, uh, investigation. You're going to do a legal investigation. Well, I I have some news on that front. I I had a fax this morning from a representative of another grand jury in another county who has offered now to help me put this investigation together in this county. And this is a responsible public official. He is responsible sewage and waste control and all that. And he's been fighting a fight on another issue. But he listens to you every night. And he was so supportive in terms of helping us get this off the ground. He said, I could probably get enough signatures to get this uh, before a judge in a day or succeed with the legal venue of uh, holding these people accountable for spending our money and lying to well, us. Well, you may not. I mean, if, if what you have told us holds up, Richard, and it sounds like it's going to, then you may not have to go through the legal uh, hoops, which would be very difficult uh, and take a long time because of the public outrage. Now, 
Let me ask you this, Richard. Can the average person, the non-geologist, non-scientist, non-rocket scientist, can they go up there and see what you're saying easily, reasonably easily? Well, since I've been talking to a lot of media people who are not known as rocket scientists, I think they can. <laughs> but I, I mean by what's on the website. Well, what, what you will look at is a graph which basically lays out the picture. It, it shows the little green lines where the, the streaks are on the full scan image, how they've been reduced in scale. Now, obviously, they didn't throw it away. My strong suspicion is the first night that we had the conversation, Monday night, yes, sir. that it was too good to come from that raw stupid image? Yes, sir. I strongly suspect that that came from a better version of the raw data with more grayscale information closer to what we would have expected, and that there may, in fact, be a revolution going on within NASA. There appear to be two camps, one camp trying to suppress and the other camp trying to leak, and the way the market is putting it out there. But, Richard, uh, even though, I, you know, what you have done here uh, is a, a grand discovery... It, wouldn't they? Wouldn't Malin know that when the photographic expert is in uh, pixel resolution? Well, given the fact that one correspondent basically said tonight, uh, I don't care. I don't care. And given the fact that this technical priesthood thinks that they own the universe because no one else can understand them, I think the arrogance of power may have given us a slight edge here, in that somebody may simply goes and looks. This is the equivalent of a smoking gun. All right. Jim, Jim uh, t t correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't this sound pretty conclusive to you? It sure does, and I'm more power to you. I'd, I'd really like to see us get to the bottom of this. Well, before I get out of your radio show so you can complete your interview, let me leave you with a couple of phone numbers. Uh, very quickly. People need to, f to fax Dan Golden. The buck stops at the administrator's desk, and if this administrator is presiding over a sinking ship... Very quickly. ...the Titanic... Fax 358-2810, 202-358-2810, and don't forget to send copies to Koppel and Holloman, because unless there are witnesses, the faxes may disappear like the missing scan lines. <laughs> yes. I had a hundred, uh, a thousand letters in my support after the county tried to fire me for predicting the World Series quake. I went to see where they were, and they showed me three. The others had gone into the round file. All right. Listen, that's it. It's the bottom of the hour. Richard, I had to get that stuff on the air. Thank you for coming on the air. We'll have you on the air next week, of course. And we have five days till the next photography pass over Sidonia, hopefully over the city with the shutter open this time. Take care, my friend. We'll be right back. Kingdom of Nye. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. First time callers may recharge at area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again is Art. Once again, I'm back. Now, Richard Hoagland has made a very, very serious allegation. He's saying the Mars photos were hoaxed. 
tampered with. They are a lie. Now, the information is in Keith Rowland's hands right now. He's my webmaster. He's also the webmaster for Richard C. Oakland. However, my website is so jammed right now that even Keith can't get in to post them. So all I can say is bear with it. Everybody just sort of uh, relax for a little while. Stop hitting the site. Let Keith get in, and let's get this stuff posted. I want to see it, too. So I know everybody's going up after the picture of the Sphinx and the audio from the sounds from hell and all the rest of it. Please give it a break for a few minutes so Keith can get in. It's so busy. My own webmaster can't get to our own website. So please, everybody, just sort of lighten up for a few minutes, all right? We'll get this information up there, and then you can flood it again. Well, all right, uh, remarkable news from Richard Hoagland. Uh, breaking news. A direct charge with proof to be posted the minute we can get it up there, uh, Richard says, of a fraud committed on the American people. A fraud. An outright uh, a fraud. And so this is the you know first time we've certainly heard anything like that. Uh, with proof to be offered. Now, let us um, go back to Jim Birkeland. Jim Birkeland, all his life, a geologist, uh, worked for USGS. Um, well, as a matter of fact, let me go through it because I know some of you have joined uh, since the top of the hour. He is a fellow in the Geological Society of America, a member of eight other professional organizations. Ten years of college and university geological education, 35 years in practical application. He has had broad experience in field geology and aerial photograph interpretation. Uh, he worked 10 years for the Department of the Interior and uh, about equally divided between the U.S. Geological Survey and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. He is a registered geologist by the state of California, certified as an engineering geologist, number 58. A major uh, part of his career has been more than 20 years as the first county geologist for the most populous county in nor nor northern uh, California, Santa Clara County. In addition, has taught, taught geology at the university level on both coasts, including engineering geology, geomorphology, oceanography, and general geology for science teachers. He's published more than 50 scientific papers in geology and has had a, a lifelong avocation of astronomy. Uh, once again, here is uh, Jim Berkland. Uh, Jim? Yes, sir, Art. Uh, this tonight has the same sort of uh, stimulating uh, intellectual stimulation uh, that is discovering new minerals, new fossils, or new uh, geologic formations has had in the past for me. This is going to be tough to go to sleep after this tonight. I understand. Uh, believe me, I understand, Jim. Um, n now, some people joined at midnight in the Los Angeles area. You, even before Richard Hoagland came on tonight, we had a full hour in which you virtually uh, suggested the exact same thing with very strong words regarding the imaging from the face on uh, Mars, of the face on Mars, that... I don't know if you said fraud. I did. Technological fraud. Technological. Travesty. And you stand by all those. Oh, yes. This, this is preposterous. And 
And now they have them trying to say, well, it was a little bit misty. Yeah, misty. <laughs> misty. Misty. I'm, I'm really surprised at that because, as Richard pointed out, they did say it was clear at the time yeah. of the photograph, and now they're talking about mist. Play misty for me. Play <laughs> oh, please. You know, uh, the times we've been on your show before have been uh, important for earthquakes, and we're generating a separate earthquake here, maybe a quake on Mars. But we started out on Good Friday, and that is exactly 34 years after the Good Friday earthquake in Alaska, the 8.5. Right. The world has not seen a quake that strong ever since. And uh, it came on the day of the full moon. Now, this now we're on the day of the full moon, the day of Passover, uh, the 11th of April, and it's the opening of a secondary seismic window, which I don't... Um, stick my neck out on, I wait for the primary window, which will be with the new moon on the 25th of this month. 25th. April has always been one of the top three months for earthquakes on the West Coast. The two biggest ones in um, Seattle, the 6.5 in 1965, and the 7.1 in 1949 were both in the month of April, as well, of course, the April 18th big one in San Francisco. Um, well, I've just got a uh, inside feeling there's about to be an earthquake. I've been saying so. Now, I did get a fax from Jack Coles. Who is Jack Coles? He's a radio technician that used to work with the good guys in um, San Jose. And uh, I saw his ad in the paper, oh, about 1985 or so, that he was offering a service as an earthquake predictor. And I thought, well, I'll check this guy out. And so I, I called his number. And he answered, he said, oh, Mr. Berkland, I've been following you for years. And he said, funny you should call. Just as the phone rang, I got a confirmation of a quake of about four magnitude to hit here uh, around 9.30 tomorrow morning. And I thought, give me a break. I mean, no one is that precise. Well, about 9.45 the next day, a 4.2 hit 50 miles from San Jose. Well, he, uh, okay, so that's Jack Cole. Jack Cole sent me a fax. Uh, at, at the top it says, early warning earthquake detection. Quake watch, east by southeast of Pacific Ring of Fire. No less than 11 sets of main signals, low-frequency radio spikes caused by crushing rock, quartz crystal, occurred on March 31st, 1998. Now, based on this, he's saying the forecast is at 76% in his opinion. That's the highest I've ever heard him go. Yeah, for at least a 6.5 magnitude if the quakes are shallow and a 7.9 to 8 range if the quakes are deep in the Earth's crust. The dates include April 8th to April 15th, plus or minus 24 hours. Yep, and you also noticed, you announced tonight about the mysterious goings-on in China, which may correlate with what Jack is seeing. Uh, the disruption of a main Chinese communication satellite by a geomagnetic something. Detector? They don't know what. Magnetometer? Oh, a, a storm, a geomagnetic storm, you recall it. Well, it, and, you know, that does happen. Well, it does, but usually it affects more than one satellite. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, it may be right over, is it a, uh, in a constant position, uh, what do you call it, a uh, stationary satellite? This apparently isn't, yeah, it's geostationary, yeah. and... Uh, that may be the difference. Um, I've had a, a deputy sheriff tell me that 
from about 50 miles away from Koalinga in 1983 when they had the 6.7 Koalinga quake. Mm-hmm. That morning, he couldn't get back to base with his radio transmitter in his car. And I've had this uh, from a number of other people. You do get unusual uh, radio interference prior to quakes, and that's what, one of the things that Jack Cove looks at. Electromagnetic uh, activity. Now, I know one of the things that you look at, you watch very carefully newspapers for missing uh, animals, animals that have, for some uh, unknown reason, run away. And there was such a preposterous uh, idea when it was first proposed to me by uh, a physicist, Antonio Nofarotti, that I almost hung up on him. Uh, then I realized he was serious, and especially when my own cat had disappeared before the strongest quake between 1911 and 1979. And the cat was away a month later, had, hadn't come home a month later when Antonio called me. The cat returned after an absence of six months, just four days before the next five-magnitude quake in the Bay Area, which was at Livermore. He had been taken care of very well at some other place in San Jose and had, re- had fled that place just before the next five-magnitude quake. So that made a believer out of me. And it just shows time after time. And right now, there's been a doubling of missing animals in the L.A. Times. Yesterday, there were 19 total dogs and cats, and today, or that is yesterday now, uh, 30, 41, doubled from 19 to 41 total missing animals. Something happened to frighten a lot of animals a few days ago. That's in L.A.? Yeah. Um, what do you think, Jim, the animals are... Electromagnetic anomalies. We know that homing pigeons can't find their way home before earthquakes. Yes, sir. We know that whales and dolphins will often beach themselves or deep-sea fish come into shallow water. Yes, sir. Last time Humphrey came into the bay and got stuck at Candlestick Cove in the mud, uh, they spent two days getting him off, and as he waved goodbye to, under the Golden Gate Bridge to San Francisco, they got a beautiful picture of him, and they showed him the paper the following day, and right alongside of it was 5.8 quake, Shakes Bay area. So apparently it confuses their navigational tools, which is mainly relying upon the natural mineral magnetite. Hmm. It's the black sand that you find when you're panning for gold. It's a constituent uh, mineral of most rock. Well, we have in our brains magnetite, don't we? That came out in 1984. Complete shock to most people. And it's over our pineal gland in the middle of the forehead where the mystical third eye is supposed to be. So it appears we do have a sixth sense of direction and most of us have however forgotten how to use it. But I've had 11 people now call me that got really bad headaches just before local quakes. And the headaches usually disappear just moments before the quake itself, so they have an advance warning. And and they often wouldn't even talk about it with their, their spouse. You know, it's too, too weird. And then finally, when they heard that I was doing this kind of thing and that I was willing to take the brick bats, uh, they called me and, and shared the information with me. Well, I have pretty good intuition. And my intuition, uh, and maybe that's the magnetite, who knows? My intuition keeps saying, quake, earthquake coming, earthquake coming. Now, one thing that was so quiet in California in March, often you get a quiet before the storm. And, again, we've had El Nino time after time. Our El Nino years have been, have been big quake years. And Really? Yes. Uh, I thought I came up with that on my own. It turns out that four scientists at USC published on this back about 1978. And they showed, here's their statement, every single six-magnitude quake in Southern California 
since 1900 to about 1978 had occurred following one or more years of drought followed by an excessively wet year. All right. Uh, here is Larry from Cambridge, Massachusetts. WRKO country says, uh, Art, if you think of it, please ask Jim whether the weight of all the water which has rained down on California with El Nino could or might have affected the various geologic faults. One square mile of water, a foot deep, weighs in at nearly a million tons. The combined weight of the recent rains must be tens of millions of tons of weight added. See, that was my calculation. I did that about 15 years ago. Really? I hadn't heard anybody else come up with it, but I put it on my website. And I've talked about a section on El Nino and past earthquakes. Uh, I feel so strongly that by this end of this summer, we're going to have at least one six-plus magnitude quake in California. Based on all of these factors, this is a year in which we're having four cases of uh, Perigian spring tides where the closest approach of the month for the, of the moon is on the same day as the new or full moon. In this case, it's the new moon, and that's coming up on the 26th. Got an article here from the Washington Post. You know what the headline is? It says, Fault Runs Through Downtown L.A. No surprise. We it already knew about it. It says, An earthquake fault uh, that runs under Dodger Stadium, the Central Park, the Elysian Park Fault. We've known about it for, for years. Um, we didn't know how active it was until after the Whittier quake in 1987 on October 1st. And I had just dropped my daughter off at, a, at a UCLA and said, hey, we're due for a big quake. And she said, oh, great, Dad. You know I like quakes. And I said, this may be bigger than what you want. Yeah, the Washington Post, uh, Jim, says the fall could generate an earthquake of magnitude 6.5 to 6.8. This is from the Washington Post now. Uh, if that were to occur in Los Angeles, what would it, what would it do? Well, it would certainly be worse than the World Series earthquake, which was some um, 60 miles away from San Francisco. Um, and, uh, it, in fact, the Elysian Park Fault and the it intersects uh, with the Newport Inglewood Fault, which gave us the Long Beach Quake in 1933 on the day of the eclipse of the moon. It was March 10th. And uh, it was described, discussed in that, uh, oh, that wild movie about the volcano erupting in uh, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. They described, described the Elysian Park Fault and the Newport Inglewood Fault. Uh, but the, the idea of a volcano erupting is totally out of the picture. No, no, no worry about that. But a big earthquake is something else. No, on, many, on many days in L.A. it wouldn't be noticed. <laughs> well, I think it didn't do anyone any service how the press jumped on an article at a, a local convention by a couple of scientists from the USGS that, well, they'd recalculated and there was no shortage of earthquakes, uh, earthquake gap in uh, Southern California, that uh, a deficit that compared to last century this century had a big deficit in quakes. Now they've re-evaluated and said there is no deficit, and the next big one may be decades away. Mm. That isn't doing anyone any service. Um, this goes back to the earlier topic of the face on Mars, but I've got to read this. It comes from an engineer regarding deep space probe transmission errors. Are the argument that the poor picture quality of the Mars Global Surveyor pictures is due to transmission noise is just plain wrong. Right on. NASA space probes, including the Mars Global Surveyor, incorporate the use of forward error correction in data transmission. The fact that the Mars Global Surveyor is a great distance away from Earth only affects the speed of the data transmission. The farther away the probe is, the slower you have to transmit the data. You eventually, though, will get the data. 
but its error rate will be very low after correction. And I believe this man to be right on, and that's why I put the strip up there so people might know what horrid little trash we got claiming to be original stuff. Right. He's so right. If we just look at those previous photographs they've already shot on this mission, they're spectacular. See little sand dunes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Uh, so anyway, um, everybody, of course, is loath to... You never want to panic anybody. And I have no way of knowing what my discreet feeling of an earthquake might or might not mean, where it might occur, what... Uh, uh, how big it might be, or even if it's going to happen, I have no idea. But you would generally agree that prior to uh, before the summer ends, and possibly even soon, there is going to be an earthquake somewhere. Uh, in California, not just somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, back, I was asked to give a talk at the annual meeting of the uh, Foundation for the Study of Cycles. Uh, I was just, just back from suspension from the, my county geology work for predicting the World Series quake and naming it in the paper three days before it happened. Well, at that meeting at Irvine, um, I had just picked up the L.A. Times, and at the end of my talk, I said I want to save time for questions and to show them my concern about a 5-plus to hit the L.A. area within three days. Mm -hmm. And I unfolded this long list of lost animals, which was suddenly at 58, one of the highest totals I've ever seen, and has risen from around 20 in just two days' time. One of the fellows in the rear of the audience got up, left the room, I never saw him again, but 10 days later I got a letter from New York saying, congratulations on another hit, I didn't want to share in it, I checked out of the hotel and took the first flight back to New York. He was talking about the 5.5 that hit Upland uh, three days after I made the statement. Hmm. And that was on videotape, and a very strange thing happened on that videotape that I made, that they made of me. There were two days of talks, and all of the talks came out very, very clear. But midway through my talk, there suddenly became an aberration, an electronic glitch that the Panasonic people could not correct. And we still don't know why that interference wave occurred while I was predicting the quake. I have experienced similar difficulties uh -huh. I saw your, your frontal lobe emanations. <laughs> Jim, uh, you predicted the World Series earthquake. Not only did you predict it, but you predicted it in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. What exactly did you write in the paper? What did you say? Uh, I told After I saw, instead of four or five missing cats, I saw 27 ads in right. local Mercury News. Right. A whole new plateau. And instead of the 20 missing dogs I'd been seeing normally, there were 58 uh, similar to what happened in Los Angeles. So with that combination, and the fact we were having the highest tidal force in three years, I couldn't contain myself, and I called a newspaper reporter, and uh, it said, I really am 85% confident we're going to have a World Series earthquake. And this was this was what, when you were a working geologist? Yes, county geologist. <laughs> and um, the Gilroy Dispatch had been quite interested in, in my predictions and carried my hits and my misses and, you know, very objective about it. So they printed the story. Yes, but I told them I didn't want to frighten anybody. I expected it would be a six and a half to seven, but we hadn't had such a quake uh, since 1906 in the Bay Area, but I said, just top it off at a six. If people get ready for a six, they'll be ready uh, for a seven, too. Yeah. And interestingly, a, an engineer with Lockheed saw my prediction. And he went to his bosses and said, you know, we have this 
solar panel array ready to launch into space, and it's all out on the workbenches. Shouldn't we kind of batten down the hatches? And he did. He did, but his bosses said, don't don't worry about it. We checked with USGS, and they said Berkland doesn't know what he's talking about. Berkland, hold on. We'll be back to you after the break, and we'll finish this story. This is Coast to Coast AM. Call Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye on the Wild Card Line at area code 702-727-1295. That's area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. My guest is geologist... Uh, the following uh, is apparently from the Malin Space Science Systems site. Malin says Mars face photo bad because of clouds and haze. Listen to this now. We now have an explanation from Macedonia, almost black. <laughs> you remember? You remember I, I told you again and again and again on the air that it shouldn't have been that way? And uh, people wrote to me and said that I was late, but a wide-angled shot shows significant cloud cover. This explains why nothing was visible in the raw image, and even the enhanced image shows very poor detail. Furthermore, cloud cover might mean that some of the whitish areas of the face might be clouds and not actual surface features. Oh, my God. How about that, folks? Uh, how about that, folks? Uh, one other piece of news. Richard Hoagland with a very serious allegation and uh, proof. It's now up on his website. That's the Enterprise Mission website. I think that's right. I hope that's right. It's also available through my site at www.artbell.com. Get in, proof up. It's up there now. So we've got a whole array of things on the website, probably too many at one time, and that's why it keeps getting shut down. Uh, for you to see the uh, enhanced, uh, re-imaged, re-scanned ghost wolf photographs, which are astounding. The sounds from hell. And now, very, very importantly, of course, the link to Richard Hoagland's site and the proof, I said proof, of what Richard alleges is a fraud perpetrated on the American people. Now, we begin to get messages from Dr. Malin indicating that um, uh, clouds and haze account for the black strip. I complain mightily and strongly and repeatedly about that black strip and we uh, indeed not have been lucky that there would not have been data loss that there was error correction indeed we should have seen a strip much like the one that I put up there so I was right about that obviously and now we're beginning to hear about uh, the worth of the photograph itself oh my 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 how things change Back to Jim Berkland and his reaction to all this in a moment. Four six two seven. 
Uh, back now to uh, uh, Jim Berkland. Jim, uh, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's great. There are a lot of things happening. Uh, my depression is not even uh, shaking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it took us uh, a week to get on our website. There you go. And we're in a bottleneck. We can barely uh, handle all the traffic coming at us right now. Right. And, and You might be interested. Uh, there's a, a fellow has a, um, a television show on Earth Changes uh, called uh, Mitch Batros. I don't know if you've heard of him. But I, I've been on his show a few times in the last few months. And I, he asked me about my opinion early on, and I wrote him, My great sense of anticipation was diminished by this version of the NASA flyby photo. I'm sure it was deliberately timed to be under a high sun so that the features had no shadow. The second edition of Martian Enigmas by Carlotto. I should point out his pages, 111, under different lighting conditions. The first two rows of photos on each page show a rather nondescript physiognomy, but none are quite as bad as the latest NASA versions. <laughs> it would be interesting to hear what comes up on Art Bell tonight. I'm sure that Richard Hoagland is fuming. Let us hope for lower sung angles with the next two flybys. Also hope for shots of some of the other multiple pyramid, the city, and so forth. Well, a lot of the analysts have been strangely, really silent. And um, they've made some very tentative statements like, let's wait and see, and so forth and so on. And uh, uh, tonight, it's breaking wide open. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really breaking wide open. I wonder if this uh, seemingly incontrovertible evidence or whether they will just do as they have so many times and ignore new evidence, strong well, some evidence. Some of us are mad as hell and aren't going to take it anymore. Yeah, I'm, I, I was... The first night when that black strip came out, everybody was yeah. angry that I, I, I couldn't sleep uh -huh. the next day. I mean, it ruined my sleep. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I just I came back the following day determined not to do, do that again for my own health. <laughs> and now I feel it again. Yes. Well, there's a, I'm sure there are lots of minds clicking and uh, lots of uh, backing and filling will be going on with midnight meetings. Uh, I'm sure that is so. Uh, let us take a few calls, Jim, uh, from on the air from Brooklyn. Hello there. Oh, I did not push the right button. I am sorry. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Jim Berkland and Art Bell. Hi. Hi. Uh, where are you, sir? This is Jason in Anchorage West. Anchorage, Anchorage, all right. How you doing? Uh, we're okay. You've got a little uh, static on your line. Yes, I'm calling from cell phone. Okay, that's better. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I'd uh, you were speaking about earthquakes a moment ago. Yes. Um, uh, since I live in Anchorage, I'm wondering if, if that was one of the places. That was a question. Anchorage uh, is in Alaska, and that's on the Ring of Fire, right? Yes, it certainly is. Uh, most of the Alaskan quakes fit my theory. There are some places around the globe that do not have, that have their own timing or just are random, and so by looking at the uh, with that the great Alaskan quake uh, being on the day of the full moon at the time of the lowest tides in the day, most interesting. And I did get a, a letter from a lady that was in Seward at the time. She said, "Jim, I think you're onto something. You know, there were no seagulls at the war waterfront." the afternoon of the quake, mm -hmm. and there were rats and mice running around in the broad daylight in the streets that she'd never seen before. And that's kind of, a lot of that's reported in the book, uh, When the Snakes Awake, by Helmut Tribute. It's a difficult book, book to get hold of now, but check the library and you will see a hundred... You predicted the World Series quake. It, yes. uh, they actually printed it in the newspaper. Yes. 
Uh, I think they got so angry at you. Uh, in fact, the earthquake happened exactly as you predicted. And then they got so angry they suspended you or something, didn't they? I was, yes. I, I was out of work for uh, two and a half months. It cost me thousands of dollars. I went to a, an attorney and nobody on contingency. So I couldn't believe this situation. Here I'm doing what I thought I was being paid to do, to make predictions of landslides and uh, flooding and uh, ground subsidence. We didn't have any volcanoes or glaciers to worry about. Right. So I was doing what I could with what I had. Right. And uh, I've been predicting quakes um, for, since 1974. The very first one I made in uh, January 8th of 1974 happened two days later. And I predicted what's called the uh, Thanksgiving Day quake in 1974, the first five-magnitude quake in the Bay Area in about five years. I predicted it at a meeting of the USGS the night before it happened. And the next day, I took my daughter to the Thanksgiving Day. What happened while we were in the movies? And we didn't recognize the jolt because we thought it was part of the special effect. The first <laughs> round of the movie, Earthquake. Uh, oh, my. Uh, I was USGS when you were suspended. Well, see, I, was, I wasn't working with the USGS, and I was working as the county geologist, as right. I had been uh, for 14 years, 15 years at that time. Right, but there must have been... Uh, another, uh, I guess I'm asking how the suspension... Manifested, yeah, that's right. Well, one of their leading lights sent a, a letter, uh, a fax to the state of California, the state geologist. And I didn't see that fax. I did see the fax that was sent from the state geologist's office to our county office of emergency services. And it said, in essence, they had heard that this morning. And I claimed I had predicted the World Series quake. And now I was calling for an eight-magnitude quake to follow in November. Said I said there would be an eight-foot tide instead of the normal four or four-and-a-half-foot at the Golden Gate. Maybe they chose uh, to that. Welcome to the club. Yes. Uh, everything I say I have learned long ago with millions of people listening, inevitably misconstrued by a healthy percentage of them. I'm used to that. This was deliberately done by scientists, my colleagues, and they wanted to get me out of, out of the way. Uh, and the best way was to have me fired, and it came very close to that. And when they found that they couldn't find any smoking gun of a common hand for these two and a half months, and finally they came up with charges that just when the county needed me most, I wasn't available. Well, they're the ones that sent me home. Oh, my God. <laughs> and also, I had a messy desk. Yes, I had a messy desk. A messy desk. Yeah. And I was behind in my work. Well, I'd taken, uh, and I came back after a month. Naturally, I was a little behind in my work. By, but by October 17th, when the quake hit, I was three days behind. I was catching up rapidly. So uh, the hearings went on for about a year and a half. And uh, a total waste of time when I should have been doing, you know, <laughs> significant things. And then I was told by my boss, I don't want the word earthquake to even be mentioned in this office anymore. Oh, really? Said, Look, I've got landslides and I've got earthquakes. That's <laughs> the main geologic hazards we deal with here. And I, there's no way I can deal with that. So he said, okay, you can talk about them, but you can't predict them. <laughs> um, so that's when I started my newsletter. And by the way, as in, in past times on your show, to anyone that sends me a self-addressed stamped envelope. Brace yourself. Self-addressed stamped. Uh, I will send them a copy of the past newsletter this year. And uh, it's because the show has grown. Yeah, well, let them go. I've, I've got these newsletters. I don't want to waste them. Okay. Everybody grabbed a piece of paper and pencil. This is free. Do you hear me? Free. Self-addressed stamped envelope. Be sure you send that. Yep, and uh, it should be a business-sized envelope. Like number 10, I think. They yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
32 cent stamp on it, and that'll just make it. Um, send it to P.O. Box 1920. Uh, See, I almost forget my own P.O. Box. 1926. 1926. <laughs> I just moved here to uh, Glen Ellen, <laughs> San right. Jose. P.O. Box 1927, California, 95442. <laughs> Jim Berkland. Jim Berkland. B O R K L A N D. And all that information is on the website if they get to that. All right, uh, but a lot of people, of course, will P.O. Box 1926, yeah. Glen Ellen, that's, that's G-L-E-N-E-L-L-E-N. Yep, the home of Jack London, and where a very nice wine is being produced these days. Right. And also, earthquake country. Oh, yes, but not too bad up here. Oh, we suffered in 1906. Uh, and uh, but. All right, uh, west of the Rockies, you are on the air with Jim Berkland. Good evening, Art. Good evening. Where are you? It's Nick from Washington again. Yes, sir. And I suppose you're going to get a lot of questions like this for Jim, but I was just wondering if I'm about 80 miles from Seattle, so naturally I'm sort of interested in what might or might not be going on up there. But he was October 6th occurred in April. And um, back in uh, May 2nd to May 9th of 1996, did you feel the uh, Duval quake of 5.4? Yes, we did. Okay, it was on the first day of my window, and uh, I had some very nice letters from people uh, thanking me for alerting them to that period. One lady said, I didn't let my kids go to the Kingdom last night to see the baseball game, and of course they, they stopped the game and evacuated the stadium. And an officer for emergency services said, I'm sure glad I got your newsletter, because you talked about the importance of maintaining equipment, not just having it. And I realized we hadn't done a thing with our generators since the floods a couple of months earlier. So I went out and I greased them up and gassed them up and oiled them up. And they're all ready to go when the power went off that night. <laughs> That's what I hope to achieve, to demystify earthquakes, get you people to do something about preparedness. Preparedness is far more important than prediction. Are you forecasting anything for the you know, near future for up here? or? Yes, I daily watch the uh, missing animals in the Seattle Times on the Internet. And you're up to exciting numbers of over 30. Um, What's normal? It's usually over 20. It was 25 before the Duval quake. Um, and they're to 30 now? Yeah, 30, 32, I think. Yeah, so uh, uh, let me ask now. You said the numbers were going berserk in L.A. Yeah. Now you're saying they're going uh, kind of crackers up there where this caller is in Washington. What about? Is this all along the West Coast or what? Not so in San Francisco. There's only three missing animals and uh, ordinary numbers in San Jose. Um, I understand that a week ago there were very high numbers, over 30 again, in the Oakland Tribune, but I'm not monitoring that on a daily basis. All right, there you go, caller. Missing animals, Seattle Times, batting down the hatches. <laughs> okay, thank you, gentlemen. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, shoot, Captain Rockies, in Brooklyn. Hello. Good morning. I'm glad I got through to you, Art. I, I called you on Wednesday, December 31st, 90, 1997, when you were taking predictions for 98, and my prediction was that there was going to be a major earthquake in the U.S. by the weekend of April, Saturday, April 18th. Uh-huh. And I uh, based that on the last two previous previous major earthquakes near major cities because I think this is going to be an earthquake that hits at least a semi-major city and it's going to be in the news for the destruction it causes. Uh, there was the October 17th, 89th San Francisco and the North Angeles. And if there is indeed a quickening, as I agree with you going on, 
by Saturday, April 18th, it has to come within a shorter interval than those last two ones. And uh, this, I didn't get any feeling about where at the time, but it was, I think of, I said it was going to be probably above a 7, like maybe a 7 to a 7.5 in that neighborhood. Yes. The, the last two things, and don't, I'm not saying this uh, uh as an absolute prediction as part of it, but I'm starting to get some vague feelings about Portland, Oregon, and particularly this Sunday, April 12th. I don't know if uh, your guest has any feelings about that city or that day in particular. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, we're coming up on a full... I believe the full moon is going to be Saturday. It's today. It's today? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, excuse me. Then you're right. Yeah, to the 11th, right. Oh, phew. Okay. Okay, this is Good Friday, because I've yeah, that's right. Really? You, why, why does the moon, and we, there are so many arguments about this, why does the moon have any effect on the likelihood of an earthquake? Well, it has twice the effect that the sun has. Uh, let me get hold of this dog here. He's moving these plastic bottles around at the moment. Maybe. My guest is Jim Berkland, a geologist. <laughs> And the moon, Jim, the moon. Oh, boy. Well, it doesn't take anything to get them chasing those bottles around. Um, so this has been known for 100 years. Astron, Relio, his mm -hmm. superior, mm -hmm. and said, you know, I think the tides in the seas have something to do with the phases of the moon. And Galileo shut him down and said, that's nothing but astrological nonsense. So Kepler had his own problems. It's always been like this, hasn't it? Yes, yes. So um, when the... The moon and the sun line up, you get a effect. Oh. And this happens twice a month at the time of the new or full moon. But only once a month is the moon very close to the moon. Just oh. why my, I have my newsletter, Syzygy, and my <laughs> website and everything. All right, well, uh, hold on. We'll, we've got to take a break here. Clock says we do, do, do. We'll be right back with Jim Berkeley. <laughs> including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. 1-800-618-825-727-1222. And you may call out on the wild card line at area code 702-727-1295. To reach out from outside the U.S., first dial your access number to the USA. Then 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM. From the Kingdom of Nye, with Art Bell. Actually, there's so much going on across the Mars photo. This story is beginning to break wide. Now, we understand Dr. Malin is beginning to walk backwards at about 100 miles an hour. Suddenly, what was clear now was misty and cloudy and accounts for the black... I told you technology. They're on the web now at www.com. <laughs> 
All right. I think that uh, we should spend a few moments. Uh, one thing, there's only one thing certain, and that is there are going to be earthquakes. There is going to be lots of bad weather. We've had lots of recent uh, demonstrations of that. Uh, fatally so for many, I'm afraid. A terrible day yesterday in the South. It manifested and killed a lot of people. Uh, Jim, it's worth talking about preparation a little bit. Uh, whether there's a quake now or later, there's going to be one. How do people get ready? Well, there are lots of things I should but it's Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> uh, I've uh, I got that uh, gravity-defying top. I've gotten four Beijing radios for my family. Oh, aren't they remarkable? Uh, yes, they are. And uh, I'm going on this uh, Egyptology cruise uh, in May with you and the gang. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's part of... And the limitations of quakes. We're not going to, you know, slide into the sea. Earthquakes are not, not going to last for ten minutes. It's ten minutes is not the end of the earth. Although that that uh, Alaskan earthquake in '64, Good Friday, lasted for three and a half minutes, and they know that because a radio announcer was practicing at home with a recorder, and his comments went on for three and a half minutes. He couldn't stand. <laughs> so. Um, let alone the instrumental measurements, but that was a practical one. You could just time that. Um, that we count on won't be available. So, the first of all, you should prepare yourself and your family to say camp out in or about your home for a week. And primary, primarily, you have to make sure you have enough water. If you have a well with a pump, you probably won't have any electricity. So, one little thing that I do is... Um, take my milk cartons, flush them out after I'm done with them, and fill them nine-tenths full of wa water and put them in the freezer. And uh, then ah. when the power goes off, you have a big icebox. Or if you just have a, a sudden... Uh, even, even if it was horrible and the yeah. freezer door opened and it fell on the floor and bounced it, you have frozen water. That's right. Oh, what a wonderful idea. I just thought of that one, and, and it's so handy, too, if you have some sudden guests, you need some extra ice cubes. Mm -hmm. Just make sure you slide this, I pour a little hot water on it, and it slides out, and you can reuse the same uh, carton. <laughs> Brilliant. If, if you're going on a camping trip or a picnic, you put it in your freezer chest or your camping chest, and then when it melts... You've got water to put out your campfire to drink if you must. Put it in your radiator wherever it's needed. Bring it back. Keep it frozen. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, of course, these light sticks are very useful. Um, they use the luciferin from a firefly, and they just uh, discovered this like 10 years ago, and kids use them for Halloween and all. Mm -hmm. They're waterproof. They wait around for years and don't deteriorate, and you just bend them a little bit, and the two chemicals will die the next morning. Um so, it's a good idea to have some of those in your car, at your office. In fact, the power went off all across the West around Christmas time. What was it, in 81, something like that? Right. And um, at the office, we couldn't even sign off the final building permits. And I said, oh, I've got a light stick in my briefcase. So I went over, and I suddenly realized I had demonstrated it at a talk a couple of days earlier, <laughs> and we had no light. So, we, we had to send the people home and ourselves. Got home. And here's the family sitting around. You know, Stanton Friedman was the visitor. Oh. The family. And uh, they were st sitting around with a candlelight. And I said, wait a minute, I've got a Coleman out in the garage. And so I got my Coleman out, and I started pumping it and pumping it. Turns out the generator. Next day I bought a second Coleman lantern and a couple of spare generators and a couple of spare mantles and another can of white gas. And so I'm ready. But it's worth it. That's for sure. So um, it's very handy to 
have these extra supplies in the trunk of your car, maybe foodstuffs, uh, slide them under the bed in a box where they're out of the way, mm-hmm. and then rotate them. If it's something that, uh, you know, if you don't have enough room in the freezer, then you put, put, put a couple of drops of uh, bleach in a gallon of water, and uh, that'll, that'll, that'll last for a couple of years. So, um, so often, it's been the water situation that's been the most desperate. As water mains in the little reservoir back of your tub, and you've got some on your hot water tank if it hasn't toppled over. I have a question. I have a question for you, uh, Jim. I have a water well here, uh-huh. and uh, oh, it's down. I think about 160 feet, something like that. What typically occurs in areas of earthquakes to water wells? Lots of things. Uh, unexpectedly, they may rise. 15 or 10, 20 feet, or they may drop, or they may begin to bubble, and H2S gas or CO2 come out, and you wonder what... Well, what these water wells suddenly become inoperative in an earthquake? Well, it shuts off the aquifer. That happened in this very house I'm sitting in, back in 1943, and it operated until 1980. And suddenly, with the Livermore earthquake that I mentioned that my cat uh, came back with, the power... the, the um, the water well dried up. We couldn't. We had to quickly get the well driller to come out and buzz down a 450-foot well. And we, I, uh, of course, claimed as a casualty loss from the earthquake. And the IRS said, "No way." And I said, "Well, this type of thing does happen uh, associated with a lot of earthquakes. It's not that unusual." Well, maybe if some geologist would sign a statement along that line, I said, "I don't think that'll be too much trouble." <laughs> <laughs> and they were, yeah, it was legitimate. <laughs> I said, I did a little research paper, and the same thing happened with the Hatchby quake and the 1906 quake, and so it's good for you. Uh huh. Oh, good for you. When you're right, pursue it. Yeah, percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're part of the lucky 15. All right, uh, let's take a few quick calls. First time caller line. You're on the air with Jim Berkland. Hi. Good morning, Art. Good morning, sir. Uh, this is Jeff in Boston. Yes, sir. And I just want to tell you before I ask my question to Mr. Berkland that uh, you have totally disrupted my sleep schedule. <laughs> now I come home from work, go right to sleep so I can wake up and listen to you all night. Wow. Well, it's going on 5 o'clock in Boston. Uh, you're absolutely right on that. Well, Mr. Berkland. Yes. I'm uh, flying into L.A. on the uh, 15th of week, and uh, I'm wondering, you know, what are the... Uh, uh, astronomical alignments here, uh, you know, uh, should I be bringing some extra equipment with me? Well, you might just miss it. You're in between the windows there. Um, off the summer solstice is on Father's Day. And uh, last year I alerted the people up in Chicago in because it was going to be a high tide period. I said around the 22nd of June, and lo and behold, the 4.9 hit Bremerton on the 23rd. And that was the strongest quake in the 48 contiguous states all year. And I alerted them to that uh, several months in advance, and back in February, when I also had a 3.5 up there. So th- that period, if I was going to Los Angeles, I think I'd pick that week. Uh, the oh, that's, uh, that, that, that's certainly comforting. Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Bell, I did uh, visit your website this afternoon, and uh, I looked at those pictures... And, you know, it looks to me like that uh, latter picture of the uh, Sidonia area is uh, simply sanded in, like a big uh, sandstorm blew across it, and 
covered up a whole lot of stuff that uh, appears so much clearer in the uh, earlier Viking. Is that that a reasonable expectation? Listen, uh, I don't know what's reasonable and unreasonable right now. What I do know is this whole story is breaking wide open like an egg dropped from a large building. (laughs) I appreciate your call, sir. Okay. Thank you, and uh, take care. Uh, Hi, uh, Jim uh, Berkman. Uh, this is uh, Howard calling from Honolulu, yeah? Uh, are you familiar with uh, Nick Begich? Okay, I got that book right off, and uh, I called him on one occasion when our power went off. Yeah, yeah, and then he talks about this Professor Gordon McDaniel from the Institute of Geophysics at uh, UCLA, and then this uh, uh, Professor McDonald talks about uh, uh, using the environment as a weapon system and uh, weather manipulation, climate modifications, polar ice cap melting, ozone depletion, and earthquake engineering. Well, Dr. McDonnelly, professor of, of uh, philosophy at Sonoma State University, um, that's the name that I'd uh, It's certainly knowledgeable about the HARP, and I'm very, very suspicious about what the government tells, me, tells us their uh, plans are about HARP. Yeah. Uh, I do know when they first tried, tried it about a quarter, the, the possible, what's it going to go to, 2 billion watts, some incredible number, um, it, uh, when I did it like a quarter, it, it, the power went off in about seven western states and parts of Alaska, and a, an AWACS plane that was checking what happened to radar over the horizon, it crashed. And uh, that's... Are you familiar with anything regarding the creation of earthquakes? Well, yes, uh, if you're talking about Tesla. Yeah. And um, that's certainly a whole new topic. Uh, I believe that story about him devising a little... Uh, Oscillator that got in tune with the big building and it began to build up so that the building might have collapsed uh, given enough time. Jim, going back to the outage, I was on the air the night of that outage. Ah. And I'm telling you right now, that outage uh, took went from uh, northern B.C. in Canada down across the western third of the U.S. and into Mexico. <laughs> and they never adequately explain they have, they have no idea was that the one with the tree limb in Idaho yeah <laughs> well whatever it was they finally uh, no at the time where we have devised this incredibly wonderful grid system which share loads but another um, important aspect of the grid is to provide fire doors or like on a sub waterproof doors so that if one cabin floods you don't lose the whole thing and the whole grid went down. It was overloaded down. Uh, places that couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And but all the safety features, every one of them, yep. didn't work. And now we've got more and more computers that are going to crash. Yep. I think so. Uh, I know Baggage thinks so. I, I, I know he does. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with... A question for Jim. In regards to his projections for an earthquake, um, my question is... Um, how is that going to affect as far as like tidal surges and tidal waves along coastal areas? Well, any large earthquake on the floor of the sea that has mainly up and down motion is capable of Andreas can't produce a tidal wave because it's, it's sideways. It's something like if you play by the edge and just pull it out, no problem. If you pick it up and move it straight up, full face, it's going to flood out in your sink. So, um, that same thing happens on the floor of the ocean. There, in 1764, uh, with Alaskan quake, 47 feet of differential motion ones were changed. So, um, in uh, along California, 
Our main concern about uh, tsunami are from South America and from Alaska. Um, I saw a special on tsunamis uh, that scared the hell out of me. Um, and they they covered some and they had some tsunamis that literally took everything down to the ground. Some thirty foot waves came into Hilo. The thing is, it doesn't isn't just one wave. It's often in a series of waves, one of which may be larger than the others. If you're near the seashore and it suddenly withdraws and you see fish flopping, get the heck out of there. Head for high high ground. Well, I hear you. Uh, listen, we're coming toward the end of this. I want to do an hour of is allow you. I mean, it really is an incredibly generous offer to send people a free copy of your newsletter. Especially give them the address again. If you send a self-addressed uh, stamped envelope, that means put the stamp on it, folks. Business size. Number 10 envelope, business size, yep. To Jim Berkland, he will send you a free copy of his newsletter. Very generous. You're going to be sending out a lot of them. And the address is, go ahead, Jim. EO Box 1926. Glenn Ellen, G-L-E-N-E-L-L-E-N, and the zip is 95442. All right, we'll give that again here in a second. What's in that newsletter? Well, we talk, we always have a prediction for the month. We describe what happened in the previous month, and we have a little history and some details that uh, sometimes are personal and sometimes just from the historic record. Um we have a little bit of philosophy here and there. For example, after I came away from Giza, I realized the meaning of life. You know, you often search for it, and all of a sudden it became... And it's so hard to describe... Oh, isn't it? Yeah. Your whole body becomes in tune. I know. I know it's... And yeah. so, it's suddenly, an interesting... I mean, all kinds of thoughts came to me. Well, what is the purpose and strive to achieve it? Anything less is a waste of existence. And that answers it for me. And so I'm doing what my purpose is. I found my purpose. A lot of people don't. You at least have to make the effort to try. And uh, once you know what your purpose is, then try to achieve it. I also believe I'm one of the fortunate few, and I think I'm doing what I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be doing, Jim. Mm -hmm. It's very gratifying. Uh, it really is gratifying. All right, it's Jim Berkland. Glen Ellen, that's G-L-E-N-E-L-L-E-N, -E -E California. Zip code 95442, a self-addressed stamped envelope, a business size or number 10, however you want to look at it, and it's free. And I am back to where I was raised, in the Valley of the Moon. So I have returned to my roots, and I really feel uh, completed. That's good to hear, Jim. Uh, that's good to hear. I don't know that there really is anything more in life uh, than achieving what you wanted to achieve. I, I really thank, thank you. Particularly, by the way, folks, he did this on very very short notice tonight. He sent me a fax and I said, wow. And uh, away we went with Mars and earthquakes and all the rest of it. Jim, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, Art. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have him on. We're going to go into one hour of open lines. There is so much popping. The whole thing is falling apart like a bad dream in front of NASA's eyes. Malin is beginning to step backward at a fast pace coast to coast AM.